Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. story her way as I speak to female professionals as they navigate their own money management journey. Amin Dillon is a sought-after on-air host, producer, podcaster, and MC. Born and raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Amin first graced the stage as Miss India Worldwide Canada before successfully crossing over to the media world. For almost 10 years, Amin has been a national television host, reporter, and producer. From interviewing politicians to celebrities, Amin has brought viewers exclusive interviews and behind-the-scenes access. Please join me in welcoming Amin to the podcast. Welcome, Amin. Hi, Fia. How's it going? Good. I'm so um, excited to have you on today. Um, I just find like Amin to be a very sort of engaging person, just in general. And um, she's actually like, I just feel like she's a very good storyteller. So I think that um, for my listeners today, we're very lucky to have uh, Amin on the podcast. And I'm so grateful that she said yes. Thank you. That's really sweet. Um, Okay, so let's just jump sort of right into it. And I'm going to start by sort of asking you a question that I ask everybody on this podcast, um, just to begin. And that is, when you think of the word money, what does that mean to you? And is it, does certain adjectives come to mind? Do certain feelings within you arise? Does it bring you back to a specific moment in time in your life? Like what does money really mean to you? Money to me means freedom. And by what I mean by that is the ability to decide whatever I want to do without um, considering whether or not I can afford it or not. So in terms of career-wise, it gives me the opportunity to pursue projects that I personally am really excited about versus doing it because I need to uh, just get a paycheck. Um, it also means I'm able to uh, travel whenever I want to, you know, if there's something I want to buy, I can buy it without having to be like, oh, is it in my budget? So to me, money means freedom of choice. Okay. That's, that's amazing. And I want to explore something that you just said. So you said, you know, you want to be able, like money allows you to be able to not just do any job, right. But Mm -hmm. because you have financial freedom, money allows you financial freedom. You can actually use your time to pursue the things you really want to pursue. So Mm -hmm. for someone that's struggling with that right now, where they're like, I feel like I'm a slave to money because I feel like I'm going to work every day because I need a paycheck to get by and pay my bills. What advice do you have for them? Like what, what, what kind of um, roadblocks or like, or, or um, building blocks can they put into place to get to that place of being able to do what they really want to do? Or does that Mm -hmm. take time? 
So I don't actually, I think a lot of people will identify with me. So I don't come from money. I was raised by a single parent um, and we were basically just on our own in Canada. My family is all in different places, but not really involved. So growing up, um, I saw how hard my mom struggled with money um, because she was not in a position where anyone ever thought she would be the breadwinner, right? When my mom is the typical kind of immigrant story where she wasn't really given the opportunity to pursue education. She got married to my father, came to Canada with no family, didn't really know my dad. My dad worked and then he passed away, um, leaving my mom all of a sudden now having to understand money. And my mom's been, has made a lot of financial mistakes because she just didn't have the experience. Uh, my dad handled everything. So when you grow up and see somebody like that, you really understand the value of money. So I was working at a young age because I realized that the money that we have isn't coming from family, isn't coming from investments. If my mom doesn't work, we don't have money. Um, so that's why I started working right at 15 and a half, I think. 15 and a half or 16, as soon as I was legally allowed to. And I've had a part-time job all through school. Um, and I continue to work. I never had sort of this idea or luxury of thinking, um, I'm going to take, you know, a year off to travel, or I'm going to go do this for me. I was like, you know what? I need to feel like I'm contributing. So I paid, uh, for my university tuition on my own entirely. I graduated with no debt. Um, you know, I've always, had a way of making money. And, um, when I was younger, obviously I didn't really know how to make my money work for me. So as I got older, um, I was able to then educate myself on, you know, what's good debt versus bad debt, you know, how, what I should be, uh, how I should be increasing what I'm earning, how to make my money work for me. So for anyone who's in that situation, um, that is similar to my story, it's kind of like you have to put in the dues. You have to essentially work paycheck to paycheck, but be smart about your money and you can get out of it. Right. So, you know, I was always aware of, like I was mentioning before, good and bad debt. I was really lucky that that from a young age, I like it was drilled in me. So if I was going to spend money on something, it had to make me money. Right. So for example, you know, we sometimes, I think a lot of people fall into this sort of uh, rabbit hole of more and more in debt. And you know what? You can make money and like actually uh, uh, have savings working a minimum wage job because just because you make more money doesn't mean you actually have more money. I know people that make six figures that are like VPs of companies that are living paycheck to paycheck. So it's like if you understand how your spending habits and how to save money and how to make your money work for you, you are able to have that freedom, regardless if you're working a minimum wage job or you're working, you know, on something higher. So, you know what? I love what you just said, that it actually doesn't matter how much money you make, whether you're, whether you're at the minimum wage level or you're, you know, maybe close to being an executive somewhere making well into the six figures it all comes down to your spending habits and the choices that you're making. Mm -hmm. So I think based on your circumstance, you realized at a really early age that you needed to make the right choices. Like you didn't have a choice, right? Like you were like, I have to make the right choices. There's no room for mistakes. 
Absolutely. And also when I saw how hard my mom was working, it made me really appreciate the value of money because, you know, my mom made sure that I never went without. And I appreciate that so much. But like, I think if I had grown up in a situation where maybe I wasn't aware of the family finances and money was always available, I don't think I would have appreciated it. Um, when I would see my mom, like anytime I asked my mom for money, she gave it to me. But then I obviously also saw my mom stressing out about being able to pay for bills or, you know, she always worried that if something happened to her, well, what happened to me? Because literally I was underage and my mom was my only relative. So I seen my mom go through that. It made me grow up really fast. And I actually appreciate that because I feel like from a young age, I've been very aware of money and bills. I remember I had a, uh, a bank account from like 16 because I started working at 16. So, you know, having that paycheck come in, even though I wasn't a lot of money compared to what minimum wage is then, um, it, it kind of gave me some pride to be like, wow, like instead of just, you know, doing whatever, I'm actually contributing to the household and helping my mom out. Um, so I got to the point where I never even had to go to her for money. Anything I wanted to buy, I could pay for myself. So it really instilled this sense of pride for me. And that's something that I still value. I appreciate that I never have to put my hand out to my mom or to anyone else and say, Hey, I'm short this month. Can you give me money? It makes me so happy to know that I've taken care of myself and that I'll never have to depend on anyone else. That's, that's amazing. Amen. Um, I, I love that. And that's, you know, um, you're, you're such a inspirational story to have on this podcast, because I think more and more women should aspire to be like you, right. To, to be like, I can, I have the ability to do this on my own. I never should be dependent on anybody, whether it's, you know, a father figure, a husband, whatever it, it, it is like they, you should not be dependent on anyone. So um, thank you so much for, for sharing that. That's amazing. So I just want to like explore just a little bit further on some of the things that you touched upon. And that is for some of our listeners sort of struggling, right. And, and they're being like, wow, like, I mean, is so disciplined. Like, how does she just know how to live within her means? So if for someone struggling being like, yeah, you know what? Like, I feel like I make enough money to have a comfortable life, but, but still I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Like, and they don't really understand what it is that they're doing wrong. What do you think they need to, to address right away? Is it spending habits and the choices that they're making? Or is it something more than that? Well, I think like I am really about paperwork, um, having been an entrepreneur, you know, you have to really be on your uh, 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 like your best self in terms of managing, um, you know, invoices and uh, collecting taxes and all that. So like because I'm also a small business owner, I kind of feel like I'm better with um, I've had those skills with paperwork and managing finances. Right. So. Um, I think it's just a matter of keeping track of, first of all, where's your money going? So I always go like, okay, so there's fixed costs, right? Like things like your mortgage, things that you are going to incur no matter what you do, right? Um, you have to take a look at what those expenses are. But then there's things that, you know, you could either uh, uh, have it or not. For example, like going out. You don't have to go out all the time to, you know, uh, get food or to just have a social event. You can you know, make your own food or you could just stay in. Like, right? so those things are just disposable, right? Um, you know, buying a new wardrobe, unless you don't have clothes at all, um, you, again, that's not a have to, but things like uh, your rooming, your food, uh, transportation, that is 
uh, essential. And that's actually probably going to um, help you make money, right? Like, especially transportation, if you need to get to your job, you need to like be able to uh, pay for that. So I think that's important for people to have categories of what are things that I absolutely need and what are things that I could either have it or not. And then you need to always look at, okay, if I had to only cover my fixed costs, am I covering it? Right. So you have to make sure that obviously those are covered. And then I always say like, pay yourself first. So I always believe in like an emergency fund. Um, just cause again, I've been on my own for so long that to me, I never wanted, uh, like I've seen being a small business owner, I've seen friends that, you know, their work has taken a hit or something's happened. So I always have money just kind of set aside every month. That's just my emergency fund. And after that, I go, okay, whatever money's left over, what do I want to do with that? So I always encourage people that if they have debt, they should be paying off their debt, right? Um, So I always tell my friends, especially if you get a promotion, if you suddenly come into more money, don't act like you've got that. Act actually like you don't have that money. So I actually like joke with my friends that I say like I'm broke. Um, because I'm not actually broke, but because my money is going to investments or to, you know, a savings fund or whatever, that I don't actually keep a lot of cash for just, you know, discretionary um, pleasure. So, you know, then if you don't have that money, then you kind of like, yeah, I can't afford to go on that, like, you know, uh, three week exotic vacation around the world because you actually don't, it's all tied up in other things. Do you get what I mean? So I think that's the best advice I would give to people is always treat yourself like you are living paycheck to paycheck, but don't actually be right. Like pay yourself first, make sure you're putting money into these funds that are supposed to protect you. And if you do have money after that leftover, then sure. Treat yourself. No, I think that's amazing advice. And I think that, um, it probably comes as second nature to you because you've been doing it for so long. Like it's now just become a habit, right? You probably don't even have to think about it. It's just habitual for you. And I think that's the point, right? It's developing these, these habits that are going to serve you in the long run. Um, no, thanks so much for sharing. I mean, I think that's, that's some really um, valuable advice that you just um, imparted to, uh, to the audience. So can I actually do a little follow Sorry. I was just going to add to that. I was going to say like, so I remember when university, I actually minored in psychology. And one of the things we learned about is why we do the things that we do. So for some people like shopping, spending money, um, it, it gives them this uh, feeling of, you know, happiness. It's kind of like, you know, when somebody's having a bad day and they reach for that like piece of chocolate cake and it just like makes like their day better. It's not because of the chocolate cake. It's because the um, feelings that cake uh, evokes in that person. So I think for people, it's also important to understand their psychological relationship with money. Um, If you're finding that you're only finding getting happiness when you go on a shopping spree or you buy yourself, you know, that expensive pair of shoes, you need to work on that because that's an unhealthy habit, right? That can actually lead you down a rabbit hole. Um, You know, if you're somebody that feels like your only um, sense of being is when other people think you're living large, right? Like, so you're having that house that's like way beyond your means. You have that expensive car that really you can't afford. You know, you want to have the designer purse because you want people to be like in awe of you. That isn't for a necessity. That's because you have the psychological relationship that this makes you feel better about yourself. So I think that's something that's really important for people to analyze 
how money makes them feel and how it affects their um, habits. Because if they do feel like it is leading them to pursue this artificial sense of feeling better about yourself, it's actually going to like, that to me is very dangerous. That's just going to, for the rest of your life, you're going to be almost a slave to money versus if you treat it as just a means to uh, be able to, uh, live the life that you want to have, like I said, the freedom. So knowing that, you know, you've got a house, you're able to have food, you're able to take care of your family. That's important, right? Being able to, you know, show off or feel like, Oh, I've had a bad day. Let me just order these shoes that I can't afford. That is not actually going to fix the issue that you have. If that makes sense. Lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, I, I totally understand what you're trying to say. Um, you can't put your happiness on external items or materialistic things, right? Because yeah. then you're just going to be constantly chasing some high and you're just going to be chasing it for the rest of your life. And it's going to be very short lived. It's not, it'll be instant gratification, but it's not something that's for the long run. Yeah. Um, yeah. I totally, I totally 100% agree with you. I think you kind of already touched on this. I feel like you are somebody that is in control of their finances, but I'm going to ask this question anyway. Um, how would you describe yourself in terms of having control of your finances? And what I mean by that is, are you someone that completely manages it 100%, like you're, you're very active? Um, or are you someone that kind of leans on a financial advisor? Yes, you kind of um, are an active participant with your financial advisor to get to a certain goal that you're trying to achieve. Or do you sort of delegate this to somebody else completely? Like, because your mom has, you know, um, been pretty successful at, you know, providing for herself, raising an amazing daughter. Do you lean on her for, for her advice? So where do you sort of fall in that spectrum? So I am self-taught in terms of finances. This is actually something I'm really passionate about. I feel like schools do not actually educate us about money, about financial freedom. Like I, I really wish I learned more about that in school. I learned about money mostly when I was out in the real world by um, looking at online sources or having this conversation with friends. Um, so that is something that I think we all graduate. It doesn't matter if you have post-secondary or not, that we kind of have this lacking. So because of that, and then because my mom um, didn't come from an education background, um, she wasn't really able to teach me a lot about money either. So I had to um, learn. I've obviously made in the beginning like some mistakes, but um, for me, I'm like, 
education is so valuable. I'm still learning. I love continuously learning and improving myself. So, you know, when I, for example, got my first mortgage, um, understanding mortgages, I've never done that before. And it's a lot of money. How much should I be spending? What kind of rate is good? Um, understanding the role of brokers. So I will go to people like financial advisors, brokers for advice. But at the end of the day, I do my own research. I never allow someone else to make the decision for me and not understand it. So even when it comes to investments, even when it comes to real estate, like I sometimes feel like I can be kind of a difficult client because um, people could be like, oh my God, you have to invest in this. This is like going to make you money. I don't believe in that because at the end of the day, no one is going to look out for your finances better than yourself. Right. And so I'm like, for example, if you were to blindly follow uh, an advisor and let's say something happens and you do lose money, who are you going to blame? right? Like you can't be like, well, I blindly trusted my advisor. They're just there to give you guidance and some advice. They can't guarantee anything. And most of the good ones will remind you that, that they can't guarantee uh, certain returns or that you'll even make money. So that's why it's really important with any decision I make, I do my research and I have to feel comfortable. So when someone says, Hey, do you want to do this or not? Do you want to invest money in this? I know when I say yes, I've done my education. So I know I'm uncomfortable with what the pros and cons are. So in terms of that, I feel like, yes, take advice from people that are experts. But at the end of the day, you have to understand what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, educating yourself um, in this in this realm is, is just a powerful tool, right? Um, because Money is something at that at, at the end of the day, it binds us all. Like we all go to work to earn money to be able to live our lives. So you brought this up and I've I've um discussed this with sort of other guests that I've had on this podcast as well, where I think it's just shocking that education about money is not part of our curriculum. I even mm-hmm. think that at the university level, it's a bit too late. Like mm-hmm. if we're given the power or the ability to be able to go out and get a driver's license at 16 years old, why are we not mm-hmm. taught about budgeting and mm-hmm. what it takes to sort of um, what a budget really is and how do you manage your money and um, some certain investment products that are out there that we need to be start maybe start thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. Even I think that the, only, the first time that even I actually, um, as, as a growing woman, thought about budgeting or even managing money in any capacity was when I went away to school because my parents weren't around for the first time. So Mm. I think those are just life skills. Like if we think things like riding a bike and driving or and swimming, those are just like life skills. Learning how to manage your finances should fit into that bucket. So Mm -hmm. why do you think that it doesn't? Like why, why are we not taught this? Is it just a systemic problem? Is it that um, the world has evolved too quickly and education hasn't caught up. Like, why are we so behind in this in this realm of educating young people about money? That's a really good question. I've actually asked myself that before. So I don't like I obviously don't have any candid conversations with uh, the folks that are in charge of our education systems. But I do wish I could have that conversation to say, like, who decides what we're taught and when was the last time we updated it? Um, because I feel like 
when I went to, especially high school, like I think these skills should be taught. You're right in high school, like in university, that's where you're supposed to be specializing in what you want to pursue. So I know I wouldn't want to be going to university to, you know, pursue a certain goal of a job that I want, but then be forced to take courses that um, I feel like are too late, right? Like I, no one goes to university to learn how to budget. They go to university to specialize in skills. So that should be taught in school. And I think even from elementary school, you should start teaching children so they understand. Like I remember games like Monopoly. I, I remember like I was always really good at that. And people would joke about, you know, how I'm just like my mother, but I love being able to take other people's money. And, you know, like, so it, I think like you can make it fun. Um, but educate children as well, what uh, um, uh, money uh, means, what debt means. So um, I wish I had the answer. I, I don't know if it's just something that um, uh, our education ministers think isn't required um, or there's like lobbying. I honestly, like as much as I love um, that I went to, uh, I am a big advocate for education, right? So I will always say, if you can go get some sort of degree, right? There needs to be maybe like uh, organizations that can maybe partner up with schools um, and be able to come in. And uh, I think there's like a group called like Young Achievers. Um, I think um, there's other groups like that, that I would love if they were able to partner up with schools and go in and be able to do these sort of like, I'm going to say pop-up classes um, because I'm, I'm going to assume there's maybe a lack of resources um, in our education system. And that's why they're not able to, uh, provide this education. And if we could get organizations to come in, like even having like speakers come in, I think I, uh, especially high school students would love having different people that are successful come in and have these chats about their careers and money mistakes or things that they did well. And, um, that way it's not taking a lot from the, uh, schools to invest in, but at the same time they're adding value, if that makes sense. Oh my God. I mean, I think that's so great. You know, I, like I would, I remember just thinking about myself uh, back when I was 16 years old and like thinking about, oh my God, like I got to pick courses because these courses now are prerequisites for the programs that I'm going to apply to. Right. And mm -hmm. so if people were, if I had more exposure at 15, 16 years old to other careers and people coming in and being like, this is what it's really like when you work in this industry. Um, yeah. And even about some certain things about some money mistakes they've made or debt mistakes or credit card debt that they had. And they were they made gross mistakes about paying that off. You know, that's so valuable to learn at that age. And we're impressionable right at that age. Yeah. And I think looking up to somebody like a woman in her mid to late 30s or even 40s um, could be a very inspiring for people. So, no, I think that like, you know, bringing professionals in that have real lived experiences um, would be amazing for the curriculum. Obviously, like I'm standing here as an outsider. I don't work in, um, in, in public education, so I don't know how difficult these things are, but, yeah. um, but it would be amazing to, um, to be, to be able to implement something like that. And Another thing I've noticed is like, uh, you know, when we talk about the public education system, having talked to people from all different backgrounds, I've noticed that if you come from an area that is deemed, um, you know, more working class or even more um, of a, uh, an area that is living at poverty, you would think the education in public schools is the same regardless of you going, but it's not like that. That's what like blows my mind that, you know, I would talk to somebody that, you know, struggled growing up and they were living in an area that was really struggling and they were just 
you know, not given the same opportunities as, you know, someone that grew up in maybe a middle class uh, neighborhood or, you know, you hear about these neighborhoods that have like the best schools um, in the city. And I'm like, at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter what area the child lives in. If this is a public, publicly funded school, they should be taught the same thing. So I kind of feel like already, um, depending on what circumstances you're born into, uh, I feel like there's already that divide that if you grow up in an area that doesn't have, um, you know, sort of a wealthy um, connection to it, that you're not going to be taught something that's going to help you break that cycle. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And and, and I think that's unfortunate, unfortunately, um, that uh, I don't think people realize that it's just even just the company you keep, right? As a kid, like mm-hmm. when you... Like who are your who are your friends in school? Are they talking about these kinds of things? Are they talking about oh like um, maybe you've never played Monopoly? Let me show you how to play Monopoly and like about you know this money exchange and building houses and then building sort of hotels and and being like aggressive in a um, in a I would I don't want to call it an investment an investment um, strategy but being sort of aggressive in to just going out there and getting what you want. Right. And I think like those skills that you think that, yeah, they're not taught in the classroom, but who are the people that your kids are sort of hanging around with? Right. What are the conversations that they're having? What are the conversations that they're having with their parents that all sort of infiltrates. So it's um, your environment plays sort of a big role. Right. So if you're around people that are coming from backgrounds that are also just constantly struggling maybe that you just normalize that and you think that's normal mm-hmm. right and so yeah I don't know how to sort of break how how you would address that and how you sort of break out of that and how do you make everything an equal playing field I, I would hope that that's what the public education system does but mm-hmm. to your point like Maybe they're taught the same things in school, but I think your environment plays um, a big role as well. If you see that, you know, people in your class are so much ahead of you um, in, let's say, mathematics, then that maybe like for certain kids that pushes them to be like, oh, my God, I got to try harder. Like, I'm, I cannot be the dumbest um, kid in the class. Like, I need to push mm-hmm. myself more. So, yeah, I think that um, the environment does does play into it, but I don't know what the solution to that is, right? Um, but that's why it's so exciting that, uh, now when I think of kids that are growing up or even, uh, millennials, um, we live in an era that everything's Google. I think you and I were talking about this before. Like I remember growing up, I didn't know where I could get this information from. Right. So if I didn't have uh, a mentor or someone that I could talk to, it was very difficult because the only source of sort of media was television. Um, I remember iPhones that didn't have data plans because we just didn't have smartphones back when I was growing up. Right. Um, God, I sound old now. So, um, I love now that uh, you can, there's YouTube. And I know I personally follow a lot of these sort of like income entrepreneurs, or um, I'm going to call them income um, speakers, because there's tons of people that have found success on their own and are passionate about sharing that wealth. You know, especially people that come from disadvantaged areas, like, you know, for example, if they come from a minority background, you know, if we think of women of color, traditionally, those groups have uh, been kind of not given the same opportunities as someone who's born and raised here, somebody who comes from more of a, um, a long background here. And so 
I think having um, these resources, I know I constantly, like for example, Rich Dad, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That book came out a long time ago, but I still have conversations with people where they talk about that book. Um, and, you know, there's all these like uh, financial speakers that, uh, you know, you can pay to go see them, but a lot of them actually offer free content. So I really am so grateful that we live in a time that the internet has allowed for people that may be in circumstances where they don't have someone they can um, learn from or uh, even be able to have access to traditional education, they're able to go online and for free learn about money, about finances. So it's really exciting to see that. I think you bring up such um, a good point there because you're right. Tech is really disrupting this industry, right? Especially, I think the financial probably advisory industry, where with products like Quest Trade and Wealth Simple, mm-hmm. and there's just so many of these sort of robo products out there that mm-hmm. you know what? If you're if you feel like Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You don't have enough education, or you feel like you're someone that's even shy to ask, or um, you don't know where to start, but you want to just start. These sort of robo products let you let you make an attempt from like the privacy of your own home. If you mm-hmm. are someone that is like, yeah, you know what, I want to maybe invest a hundred dollars stock market. You can. You don't now. You don't have to do this complicated thing where you go to the bank, you open up a trading account, you got to fill out all this like nonsense mm-hmm. paperwork you know, mm-hmm. or you got to call a broker to make a trade, like you can just literally do it on, in the comfort of your own home. And as you said, you're able to research whatever stock you want, right? And there's so much information out there with like Twitter and Reddit and all of these mm-hmm. platforms that that sort of really help you um, in that mm-hmm. arena. So mm-hmm. no, I think you're right. I think that with the, the emergence of the internet and technology, it has if, if the world was not fair or a little bit divided, I think these tools have made it a little bit more of a leveling playing field than it was. Mm, the internet Hi. is a big tool. And that's why I was actually reading the other day, I think it was a report from by the UN, that apparently 40% of the world's population doesn't have access to the internet. And then you also hear about some countries that really um, regulate what you can see on the internet. And so that's where, you know, you really realize that the internet is such a powerful tool because it does give you that access to information at your fingertips. But that's why some places in order to control you, they will limit the access you have or 
cut you off. So that's something that I'm personally passionate about that I'm like, you know, in terms of creating content, I know that's why I created my uh, digital series because I wanted to have an avenue where I could load up uh, interviews with inspirational people and anywhere around the world uh, that had internet access could view it and be inspired. And, you know, even if they're pursuing something, they would hopefully get some tips about what they could do. But when you hear about 40% of the world's population doesn't even have access to the internet, that's when you really realize almost like the political use of the internet, if that makes sense. I 100% agree with you. And I think um, when the pandemic first happened a year ago and, you know, um, kids were told that they have to do everything online and from, from home, I think there wasn't enough consideration made that I think there was just an assumption that everybody can afford, everyone's parents can afford internet at home or everyone's mm-hmm. parent has a laptop or a tablet or an iPad for their kid. And that's not the case, as you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. In, in you know, lower, um, lower income sort of neighborhoods, that's not the case. They, they don't have access to the internet unless they're using it at like a public library or at school. So how do you address that now, right? Like, and mm-hmm. I think they did. I think that um, public schools did a, 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 a good job of, you know, getting people equipment if they didn't have equipment to, to be able to learn from home. But mm-hmm. I think that when we say, oh, 40% of the world's population doesn't have access to internet, I don't think we realize that that's also happening in our own backyard here in Canada. People do yeah. not have internet at home. And so I think mm-hmm. that really is a wake up call to like our privilege of something Mm -hmm. as simple as you having internet at home puts you at an advantage to another kid, maybe in your class who doesn't Mm -hmm. have that at home. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of work for us to be done to make it an equal playing field for everybody. Um, But I think where sort of motivation and hunger comes from is also where, when you don't have those things and then you aspire to have those things, right? I think just your own background where you're like, I saw my mother really struggle to pay bills. The hunger that you have or the work ethic that you've probably built from from that lived experience, I don't think a lot of people have, right? Mm -hmm. That had a much more comfortable childhood. So I think it's developed pieces of your personality and your work ethic now in your adult life that you can look back and be like, I'm really glad that happened because I am who I am because of those experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But also I think um, all the sort of, um, like, I don't know what kind of audience we have here, but if it's uh, an audience that uh, is South Asian, we come from a culture where our mothers, when they immigrated here, they were often in the same boat where they were not afforded the opportunities to uh, get education, to make their own decisions, to live apart from their families, right? Everything was done by the families, usually by their father. So it's almost like, you know, hearing my mom's stories of how she wasn't given these opportunities, it wasn't because her family didn't love her, but it's just because it wasn't what was done back then, right? It was almost like unheard of to send your daughter from a village to the big city, right? Families were very protective of their daughters. Um, So my mom's uh, brothers were given those opportunities, but not her. They were just like, you're going to get married. You're going to be a wife and a mother. And those are the skills you should really be uh, focused on. So when I hear about that and I hear about like, you know, my aunties and their similar stories, I just have so much respect for the sacrifices that generation of women made so that people like you and I 
could have options, could have choices, right? Because now I'm like, if somebody were to come to me and say, you're not going to have any choice in your life, we're going to decide for you. And you're basically going to go from your parents' house to your husband's house. I would be like, "Uh, no, right? (laughs) I'd be like, it's my decision. And honestly, you know, I think we take that for granted sometimes that we even have the privilege, aka not the right, but the privilege to make our own decision. So with that, I kind of feel like I owe it to my mother and all the women in her generation that sacrificed and they didn't have options so that we could live out our dreams, that we could have choices. 100%, I'm in, 100%. Like we, we would be nothing without the women that came before us, right? That paved the way. So mm-hmm. 100%, yay, feminism, yay to like, you know, the matriarchy um, because- I don't know about you, but I feel like in my family, definitely, um, especially at like my, my grandparent level, um, it's definitely the matriarchy that rules. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think that, uh, the sacrifices just that our parents have made for us is, is astronomical. And, you know, when we think, when I think about it or in just even in my sort of friend circle, it's like, we're so much more of a selfish generation. Um, and I don't know if selfish is the right word, but it's it's true. It's just that we have so much choice and so much opportunity, right? Um, mm. That I think that uh, that hopefully that like when you and I have kids one day, maybe um, our kids will 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 also look back at us and be like, oh my god, they made so much sacrifice for us. But I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I I, I totally one hundred percent agree with you that uh, that 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 breed of women were something else. Like they just did it they just did it all without complaining, right? Going to work, raising kids, doing all the housework, like in your case, even taking on the financial responsibility of paying all the bills and figuring out how to run a household from a financial point of view. Like it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. And, um, for them, like, uh, I have nothing but respect. So no, thank you so much for bringing that up. And, and, um, kudos to them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on because I feel like we've kind of revered topics here, but still a riveting conversation nonetheless. But um, for our audience listening that might be looking for some advice, what would you say is sort of your investing saving strategy? Like, do you have a strategy that you that you go by that's sort of your rule book? Um, or is it sort of does it um, ebb and flow? So I think it depends on where you are in uh, uh, sort of your timeline. So um, like when I was younger, I think I was a little bit more inclined to spend money on discretionary things, right? Like going out, concerts, buying clothes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now that I'm in like sort of in my thirties, um, I feel like I'm sort of in my, like I'm building for my future, uh, timeline. Right. So for me, I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that I'm making smart financial decisions so that I can retire when I want to retire, that I'm, you know, able to create a good future for myself. You know, when I become a parent, I want to make sure I can provide for my children. So um, I think it just depends on kind of your individual circumstances and what your goals are. But for me, it's always in terms of having a balance. I always say you need to just take care of yourself first. So like I mentioned before, pay yourself up first, right? So make sure what, you know, is absolutely necessary. You're covering that you're paying yourself, AK, you're putting money aside for like a rainy day fund, and then make sure that, you know, anything out from like, I'm like, have fun, obviously, right? I don't want people to think like, I'm like, don't ever go on vacation or don't ever buy anything. Like obviously a balance, 
But I think that is the key word is balance. So make sure that you're spending money on things that are like a treat for you. But at the same time, you know, you've already taken steps to take care of your expenses, to uh, take care of any sort of uh, potential things that may come with the future. So you're never in a situation where you may get caught off guard. Okay. That's, that's really good advice. I, I, I agree with, I agree with you. I think planning for your future is something that not enough people think about um, soon enough. Like when you're younger, I think everyone's like, Oh, I have time. I have time. I have time. But I think the sooner you start thinking about it and putting some sort of framework into place, the better off you're going to be. Right. And I, I think the percentages like uh, in case that's like something that your audience was looking at, I don't think there's an actual rule book. Cause I've talked to people before and said like, Hey, how much do you put aside for savings funds? Right. Um, and it's interesting because people have different amounts. Some people are saving quite a bit, right? Like right now they're, let's say saving up a down payment for a, a house. So they're all their money is going towards like, you know, for that down payment, some people are self-employed like me. So they understand that their industry is up and down, especially with COVID. If we've learned anything is nothing is guaranteed. Right. So, uh, people are spending or saving like, you know, thousands of dollars. That's just like sitting in an account so that, you know, if something happens, if they're not getting income, their clients aren't coming through, they've got money to pay for themselves. Right. And then I have other friends that have just a little bit of uh, rainy day funds. Right. And they're comfortable with that because they feel their um, income sources are stable. So I think, like I said, it depends on everyone's circumstances. At the end of the day, you have to really look at what your situation is like. Um, also, it depends, like, if you have a family or not, right? Like, if you're single, like, you know, how I am, I don't have to worry about um, uh, taking care of my kids or my husband or whatnot, right? Um, but if I did have kids, then obviously I would make sure that I know, like, you know, God forbid my kid, you know, had to have, like, expensive dental surgery or, you know, my kid has to, like, buy supplies or, you know, or I'm sending my kid to college. So I think it really depends on your circumstances. So I think we should be flexible in what those ratios look like, as long as you are actually paying attention to them. Yes, I agree with you. Um, I think that you make a great point about COVID. And, you know, I think some people, um, knock on wood, um, thankfully, have not been affected by COVID. Their income hasn't been affected because they're easily able to work from home or maybe, you know, they're um, doctors or nurses and they work at a hospital and they're frontline so that their, their income hasn't been affected. But for people like, especially in, in that work in restaurants, right. Um, Mm -hmm. Like we've seen or, or have a small business that requires um, people to come in, in person. Like if you have a storefront somewhere on Queen street or King street, then, Mm -hmm. then you have been hit. And I think that if you had a fund for a rainy day like this, because as COVID has taught us, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, the beauty of life is that it is unknown. Um, that you're probably not as stressed out if you do have a, a fund or, or, or a pool of savings that you could depend on for this year, mm-hmm. maybe longer. We don't know how how long we're going to be in the situation for. That that you know you're you're okay. You have a mm-hmm. roof over your head. You can put food on the table. So you're right. I think that. Um, Saving for a rainy day is not something that especially young people think about enough. And I think that probably this year is going to have a drastic shift in the way that people think just because you're hearing all these stories, right? About people that have like for, I think I read an article the other day and like in the past year, restaurants have been open 60 days of the 365 days. 
So how mm-hmm. is somebody that was already living paycheck to paycheck in that scenario expected to, to just live their normal life when mm-hmm. they haven't worked for 300 days in the year, right? So I think that's, that's definitely um, a great learning that, you know, I think saving early on and putting money away for a rainy day is, um, is definitely a must in this post-COVID era. Yeah, that's why I'm uh, a huge advocate for live below your means because you just never know that that money could go away, right? So if you live below your means all the time, then you're always covered. Yep, you're right. You're 100% right. So this sort of leads into my next question, and that is, what are some of the mistakes you've made in your money management journey that our audience can, can potentially learn from? Some mistakes that I've made. Um, hmm. Well, probably, like, I feel like I've been... Uh... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pretty good with making sound financial decisions because I am not a risk taker. So for me, I always have to do my research and be really comfortable with a decision, especially if it's like going to be a a very high value one um, before I make it. Um, But the one regret I do have is I kind of wish I had started earlier. And that stems from, like I said, you know, when I was uh, younger, I just wasn't in an environment where we talked about um, investments and making money work for you. It was like almost like, hey, go to school, get your degree, go get a job that's like has great benefits and is stable, work your nine to five and that's it. Have your family and you're good to go. And like, I really like I understand especially coming from a family of immigrants, like they were just trying to survive. So they didn't know anything else. So like, that's kind of what I was always taught that that's how, you know, you've been successful is your, if you're getting that, you know, plump office job uh, with the benefits and the salary and you're good to go. But then um, once I was out in the real world, especially I feel like uh, even now we've learned now that there's no stability, you know, those like traditional sort of jobs that paid you really well and was like really like, you know, stable, you would could never get fired from. I feel like those days are gone. Um, So I feel like I have had friends that are super talented, super skilled, have really great positions that have been let go even during COVID. And, you know, you'd be shocked to be like, but you're an executive. How can they let you go that you you get let go? Right. So I I don't think anyone is um, uh, kind of immune to uh, suddenly finding themselves without a job. So I think the biggest mistake I made was when I was in my twenties, I really wish I was um, taking money and figuring out ways that I could invest it. So I actually joke with my friends all the time um, back in Winnipeg. I'm like, when we were in our 20s, if we had pulled our money together and started buying properties in Toronto, um, we would be laughing right now, right? Because in Winnipeg, obviously, uh, we had a lower cost of living. We were living with our parents, uh, but we were making like our first jobs were decent pay, right? Like I think they were around like 50, 60,000 at that time. So I'm like, if we had, you know, pulled our money together and instead of like, you know, going to Vegas or doing other stuff, we could have all pitched in and bought like a condo back when they were in the like, you know, under 200 grand, 
I'm like, oh my God, we would be laughing right now, right? And that would have been like not only cash flow positive, but we would be getting rental income and also um, getting that appreciation. So those are things that like, obviously, uh, you know, that's just an example because the real estate market here is so um, crazy right now. But I just wish I had understood that there are opportunities for you to invest your money. Um, you don't have to be making a lot of money. You can, again, um, team up with friends, with family and put your money. And like even with stocks, now everyone's signing up for stocks and um, are trading and buying their own uh, shares. But again, when I was in my 20s, that wasn't really a thing. You know, it was really like complex and no one was having this conversation. So I just kind of wish that I had uh, started learning and teaching myself and having those conversations about opportunities to make your money grow. Because I've learned the earlier you start, the bigger the payoff. Yeah, 100%. You're, you're, you've hit the nail on the head. And I think you're not the only um, guest that I've had on the podcast. Other people have said the same thing that one of the mistakes that they made is that they just wish they started thinking about building wealth in their twenties opposed to in their thirties, because that sort of 10 year differential makes a huge difference, right? Just look at the, like, cause you made the, uh, made the example of real estate pricing in Toronto so you're right. If you had bought a condo, let's say 10 years ago, the, just the appreciation on that in 10 years would have been extremely significant. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I, I, I 100% um, agree with that. So from that mistake, what is the learning that you've taken away? Apart from, I just wish I started investing early. Is there any other learning that you've had in your money management journey that you want to share something that you thought was going to go really well. It didn't end up going really well. What did you learn from that? I'm just sort of using a very abstract example, but any like major learning other than I just wish I started earlier. To be quite honest, I feel like um, because of uh, sort of, I guess my upbringing, I, I, we always had assets that produced income. So that's something to me is really important that you buy something that not only can it produce income, AKA you can rent it out. So that could be um, equipment. It could be vehicles. It could be, you know, um, housing, but it also appreciates in value. So you're kind of like winning on both ends. Right. So to me, like, that's like why, like my mom was always talking about um, having a house. So like, for example, when I came to Toronto, I was renting for a year and my mom was like, okay, you've been renting for a year. You're basically paying someone's mortgage. You know how typical South Asian parents are, you know, they're all about home ownership. So my mom was like, um, we're going to buy something. And so like, I'm so grateful she had that mentality because um, I got in at a time where uh, these condos were like much cheaper than they are now. And so by fluke, because I wasn't used to the real estate, uh, Toronto real estate market, it's very different from Winnipeg. It's appreciated so much. So I've already built equity and I already know that if I rented out, you know, uh, the condo that I live in right now, I would be cash flow positive. And so because of that, I've started to invest in other real estate. So I feel like I've been kind of by accident. Um, I've uh, really benefited from that sort of immigrant mentality of you need to, um, you know, even if it's, you know, tough, you need to buy property. And from there you understand, you know, if you invest in a business or like I said, equipment that can be rented out, um, or a a venue that can be rented out. So you're kind of winning on both ends. And so that to me, it's kind of like, like a blessing in disguise that, um, I have friends that don't come from sort of Asian countries that they weren't 
told like, oh, hey, you need to make sure you uh, buy. So they've been renting their whole life. And now they kind of are like at a disadvantage because now they just don't have that equity that they can, you know, get out loans or be able to uh, pull out equity to finance something else. So they're kind of starting from scratch versus someone like me who I don't even think I was a seasoned investor, but just by fluke, I already have built equity. I already have other things that are assets that not only make me income, but I could sell it and um, capitalize on the appreciation. Yeah, I know that's not a good answer for you. That is by fluke, but it's kind of like it really is. <laughs> no, that's that's actually amazing advice, Amin. And I think that um, I noticed that as well. That um, in in com- just you know casual conversations that you're having with your friends, I feel like I'm someone that places a lot of importance on home ownership, specifically the home that you live in, that you choose to live. Like you, to me, that's very important. And I think people have challenged me on that perspective. And when I've been forced to think about it, it is because of my parents' mentality of home ownership, right? And that you 100% should be owning versus renting. And I think especially given the, um, the, the current real estate market that we're finding ourselves in, I think that you would be extremely, find yourself extremely fortunate in a fortunate position if you were a homeowner opposed to renting right now, right? Because it, as, as the real estate market keeps appreciating, it becomes more and more difficult to enter. That mm-hmm. barrier to enter entry keeps increasing. So a hundred percent, I think that those are some amazing um, values that you've sort of like picked up from, from your mom. And it's definitely um, served you well. Um, in definitely in today's Toronto real estate market. So I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, I will wrap up with sort of one final question. And that is, if you could give your younger self some advice, what would that be? Like if you could go back in time and give sort of like, you know, your 20 year old I'm in or even younger, like 16 year old as a teenager, what would you tell I'm in to be like, don't make these mistakes um, if you could go back in time and, and have that conversation? If I could go back in time, I would probably tell myself that I need to um, become more independent. So what I mean by that was when I was younger, I was still growing up with these cultural norms that unfortunately that were being passed on to me that, you know, you want to be the good Indian girl, right? You want to get, like I said, you know, your education, get your degree, because that's super important to immigrant uh, parents. Uh, You want to get that, you know, corporate job with the office and then the fancy title, because that means you've made it. And then basically kind of focus on getting married and having kids. Like, I feel like, especially as a woman of color, I still get that pressure. It's only, you know, in the last few years where I feel like that pressure has kind of gone away, Because I think people um, in the community realize that I've got other goals for myself, right? Like I'm not determined by these things that our community is uh, determined means you're successful as a woman. Um, So I wish when I was younger, I could have gone to myself and said, hey, don't waste your time trying to appease everyone else because that's what they grew up with determining success. That doesn't necessarily mean actual success for you. So if that, if I could have heard myself give me um, that advice. Like I said, from a young age, I would have probably looked at where I could put money. Um, I even like uh, in my twenties, when I was moving here, because my mom and I are kind of like a partnership um, and we like make financial decisions. Like for example, like my mom would, will invest in things that I want to invest in. If I need like, you know, uh, a partner to come in, um, 
but oftentimes when, you know, I would say like, Hey, there is like this project, like, should we invest in it? My mom would be like, you know, why don't you focus on getting married? I don't want to throw my mom under the bus, but my mom would be like, you know what, you know, money will come and go when you die, you don't take anything, go focus. You know, like, I feel like she's very, um, like a traditional sort of Indian mom that just wants her daughter to get married and settle down with her like kids. And, um, that would make my mom feel like I'm successful and that my mom's done a good job raising me. So, um, I wish I could go back and kind of, um, tell myself that, you know, you love your mother, obviously you want to make her, um, uh, proud, but what your mother is telling you that you need to do to be successful and to make her happy isn't the truth. Like your mom will be fine if you're still unmarried and if you don't have kids, but she will be proud that, you have made smart decisions and that you're independent and that you are taking care of not only yourself, but her as well. Right. So I think, um, if I had had that advice, I wouldn't have been so focused on living up to these cultural norms versus actually pursuing, um, these avenues. Like, like I said, looking at real estate, looking at stocks and looking at ways that I could, um, invest money in, you know, even other businesses so that I could, uh, grow my money. That's, that's, such uh, an amazing answer I'm in because um, I think you make such a valid point that there are a lot of societal pressures, especially for women of color, especially us being South Asian um, of yes, hundred percent. Like, you know, you go to school, you get um, to like a great school, you get a good degree, then you get this great job. Then you have like a little bit of a run in your career and you've sort of, you know, made a name for yourself in your industry and like everyone sort of respects you. And then you go down this route of, of course, you got to find this, like this partner, have kids. And then that is the barometer of, of, of success. But what success looks like for each person is very different, right? So how mm -hmm. I measure success might be extremely different to how you measure success. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, Again, that's a privilege that we have of not growing up in our parents' generation and, and being able to have that sort of opportunity and freedom to think that freely and openly, right? So I think that's that's amazing advice um, for a lot of our young listeners that like, if you are feeling pressured, you need to do what's right for you. If, if there's some internal voice telling you something else, channel it, channel it, like, listen to it because no one knows what's going to make you happy at the end of the day more than yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then just sort of coming back and looping back to what you said in the beginning, don't expect external things to, to make you happy or, 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 or make you feel fulfilled. That's not going to happen. It has to come from within. So for you, if you're someone that is like, you know what, I don't think marriage is going to make me happy, then, then pursue other things that, that are going to make you happy. So on that note, um, thank you so much for such a riveting conversation. You're, you're actually such an uh, amazing uh, storyteller orator. I'm so glad that I had you on this podcast. I learned so many things from you. Um, I didn't know so many details about um, the way that you're, you were raised. I have uh, even more respect for your mom now. Um, and uh, I hope that, you know, uh, as COVID um, decreases, um, that we'll get to hang out soon and yeah. um, continue this conversation in person. 
Absolutely. And congratulations again on the podcast. I think this is a fantastic idea. I was telling you this before. I really feel like um, we need to help empower women because uh, as much as, you know, there's different um, barriers for different groups, I feel like when you're a woman of color, especially a woman that comes from an an Asian background, um, we're this generation where we're trying to unlearn what was normal for our parents' generation. um, And that's a huge task. You know, there's people that I know are still struggling to unlearn what were the expectations put on them just because they were a woman raised in a certain cultural household. So I think it's really important to have uh, other women um, trying to empower each other, trying to give resources and just to say like, hey, let's have these conversations on how you can improve yourself. Right. And I think that's really, really important because then you don't feel like you're alone. You feel like someone else gets you. Yeah, I totally agree. I I 100% agree with you. And I feel like when it comes to this topic specifically about money management and managing your finances and wealth creation, not just South Asian women, but women in general, we're not having this conversation enough with each other. And I think that was one of my motivations to start this podcast was to be like, how do we normalize having these conversations? Because why is it okay for men to have these conversations? And it's so normal for them to, you know, grab a, a, you know, go on a patio and grab some beers and just have this conversation. Whereas we struggle with it so much that um, I think that the more conversations we have around it and the, and the more we sort of lean on each other, even as women for advice, um, it can only be beneficial. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Amin, for um, for joining us today. And um, I hope to see you very, very soon. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.